Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value, which is all in your customer's mind and everything it takes in the average company to get more value to appear in your customer's mind. Today, I am thrilled to have a colleague, uh, somebody that I respect, despite the fact that he's an Ohio State Buckeye. His name is Mark Stiving. Uh, a and a true exception at that institution, somebody I respect greatly. Um, and actually to the point where I am thrilled to, to share and to have, have gotten an advanced copy of his new book, Selling Value, How to Win More Deals at High Prices, Higher Prices. Uh, Mark, welcome. Hey, thank you, Mark. And, and I gotta say, you and I have talked quite a few times in the past and, and we are truly kindred souls. I mean, we may not say things exactly the same, but I think we believe the same constantly. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's why I really love having you on again. That's why I love getting your book and, and um, just diving into it. So, you know, thank you for that gift to the world because uh, it's needed. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so I know you didn't ask the question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Let me tell you why I wrote the book. Yeah. <laughs> Well, a, because, it, because it's so needed. And so, yeah, well, launch right into it. Yeah, I'm a pricing expert. And so I constantly work with pricing people and product managers and even product marketers about how do you price products? And in truth, it's always about how do customers perceive the value of your products? And that's how we price it. But you see this huge, huge gap constantly where all these other people are trying to figure out how do I measure the value? But in truth, what we realize is the customers aren't perceiving the value. And so we're not doing a good enough job at communicating value to our customers. When you take a step back, you realize almost nobody in the company understands how customers perceive value. And that's really what this book is all about, is how is it the customers perceive value? And then how should we talk with them and help them perceive the true value of our products? Yeah, you know, and and I say cause that perception of value to come into a being. I mean, they don't. You don't walk into a sales point, a sales call, and have your customer get your value. You have to. And value only exists in your customer's mind, and so you have to cause something to take root, seed, grow, and flourish between your customer's ears. That is the true job of sales, and then find out what just grew inside there. Like what value did that what picture happened of value just happened in that customer's mind so that I know what to charge for it. And um, that's the endless thrill of business is that everything that happens above your company's top line happens between your customer's ears outside of any of your, any of the line items in your financial statement. Isn't that the truth? And isn't that amazing? Yeah. So um, your book, Selling More Value, is talking about understanding value, what it is, uh, defining it. So define, I've got my own definition, which is not in conflict with yours, but I want to hear yours in, from your book. 
Well, there are lots of different definitions of value. Uh, many, many definitions, actually. So it's it's one of those really ambiguous words that you hear. Um, if I get to choose a single definition that I would use in my world of pricing or in my world of sales, I would define value as what a customer is willing to pay. Yep. Now, in the world of B2B sales, there's another type of value called economic value, which is crucial to us learning how to sell properly. And economic value is how much additional profit is my customer going to make because they bought and used my product? And there's a process that you can go through for you to understand the answer to that question and to help your buyer understand the answer to that question. And that's the single biggest thing to do in B2B sales is how do you get to that point? Yeah. In, in my book, I talk about that my definition of value is very similar to that economic value. Uh, yeah, I mean, your chapter one is nobody cares about your product. They, they buy their own outcomes for their own reasons. So value is the desirability of those outcomes. And customers measure desirability, B2B customers measure desirability in dollars, yen, euros, pounds, or whatever. Um, and so you have to talk to them about an outcome and then have them dollarize an outcome to get to that economic value. Can, can I add some nuance to that? Do you mind? Mark? Yeah, please, please. So I use slightly different words than you do. I like to use the word result instead of outcome, but call it the same thing. Yep. And I define, I think it's in chapter four, I define something called a value table. Yes. And a value table is a way for a company, a salesperson, a sales team, product management to try to start to document what does value mean to the customer. And in the value table, I put four different columns. I put in the solution, the problem, the result, and the value. And I, I lead with solution because most companies think about solutions first. They think about their own products. They think about their own features. Yep. And so I would ask you the following question. Take any given feature that you have that you love, that you think customers love. Why'd you build that feature? You built it because it solves a problem for a customer. Can you articulate that problem really clearly? Put it in first-person format. Make it feel painful to the customer. Yep. And then... If a customer has that problem, they buy your solution, what measurable result or outcome, if I use your language, sure. what measurable result might they achieve? And so that could be something like 2% less turnover or 1% you know, higher ASP or you know, anything. And once you have a measurable result, if you have business acumen and you understand your customers, you can help them turn that measurable results into dollar value for their decision. And so that's how I think about value. No, I completely agree. Um, I, I kind of try to get my clients to think about different kinds of results, the direct results that are easy for your customer to, to find and measure. And then there's often indirect ones, which are harder for them to measure, but almost always many times larger. Um, and then some personal ones, which sometimes don't have a dollar amount attached to them publicly in front of their peers, but are really important to them, may cause them to advocate for you and nobody around them knows why. Yeah. So, so although I agree with you, I don't like that stuff. Can I just point that out? <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I get it that people make emotional decisions. Uh, they often make irrational decisions. This is what's best for me, not for my company. And, and as salespeople, we really do have to understand that. 
But what I always focus on is the value to the company. It's just, it's the way my mind thinks. No, and, and I think you should, but um, I, I tell my clients, imagine the buying committee, everybody involved in a buying decision for your thing. Uh, it doesn't really happen with them all sitting down in one meeting around a conference room table, but simplify it that way. Um, and in that room, in that conversation, everybody at the table advocates for something or is silent. And that personal thing is what motivates them to not be silent. What will come out of their mouth is the business value. So when you sell the business value, that is the substance of the conversation. But the reason somebody decides to not be silent, the reason they decide to not be passive, the reason they decide to take the social risk in a bureaucratic organization, in a committee, the reason they decide to take the risk to open their mouth and advocate in one direction or another is because of the personal stuff. So don't ignore it. It, it will not have an effect in the, on the math of the economic. Uh, on, with, with the, there's a couple exceptions, but generally it doesn't weigh into the math, but it does weigh into the strength of advocacy. And so you, I, I think you can't ignore it. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I can ignore it because I don't know how to teach it. So, <laughs> so <laughs> fair enough. Um, and if I was good at that stuff, I would probably still be a salesperson. Yeah. Right? But uh, oh, but man. I am not. I am yeah, a yeah. logical thinker. Yep. Uh, and and I have that same failing. I always have to. I always have to be dragged, kicking and screaming. You know. I've been teaching it for decades and I still tell this, I, I can still think about, think back of when I did it right accidentally without thinking about it, right. When I knew what somebody's personal win was, but I didn't formulate that personal win, right. Everybody's has a personal win or personal loss around that table. Yeah. So whether you, whether you know about it or not. Now, what happens if you could be purposeful about knowing what they are and formulating them rather than just the random chance that they all worked in your favor? Okay. You just caused me to have an aha. So I'm going to share this with you. Okay. Uh, when I was younger, I already told you this ahead of time. I was a horrible salesperson. As you know, I'm a very logical thinker and I, you know, hell, I barely smile. So <laughs> I'm not going to be a good salesperson. My best friend growing up in college he was a people person. Oh my gosh. And, uh, but he couldn't do math. I would tutor him in math. Logic does not uh, reach his brain. He was a non-mathlete. <laughs> no, he was a phenomenal salesperson because he was building great relationships with his clients, with his customers. And so I think, I think our advantage, or I'll just say my advantage is that salespeople probably tend to have a lot of that interpersonal capability and don't need to be taught that where they don't understand value. Cause I see this constantly that people don't understand value. And so it's just another skill to layer on top of the skill set they already have. Yeah. Um, and you gave me something that I bring up fairly often. Uh, when you say you don't see it often, I will tell you, uh, I was a consultant for the world's largest B2B sales training organization for almost nine years. And that means I went to eight annual conferences where 170 to 250 of these of my fellow sales consultants from around the world would get together and we'd 
we would uh, learn the new products and tell how, you know, teach each other how to sell. And, um, but there was a universal agreement when we would all get together. So this is 250 average people uh, who had each coached at least a thousand individual B2B opportunities, some of them tens of thousands. So there's at least a quarter million B2B deals in that room, one-on-one -on -one coaching of, of hundreds of thousands. And we all agreed that the part of the Miller-Hyman training that salespeople didn't get was understanding the customer result. They didn't understand the personal results. They didn't understand the business results. The two, the two big failings are, I only sell to one of the people that I'm most comfortable selling to. And I don't, and when I, do, when I get beyond that, I still don't understand anybody's result. And the result is 90% of why they buy. So every industry all around the world, many consultants, many sets of eyes. So this isn't just you seeing it. I can tell you unequivocally that if, if I had turned that into a, a study, right, there would be, there's. Of overwhelming anecdotal evidence that it's everywhere, every place, all around the world, every B2B industry. Yeah. And, and what's funny is I don't think many people realize it. I was yeah. actually on a call, I was actually on a call yesterday, and uh, and someone had said to me, Oh, I understand the value piece. I don't get this. And I said, Okay, let's test that. How do your customers perceive value? <laughs> right? Give me a feature, tell me what they think is important. And they were just totally wrong. Yeah, they just don't get it. Yep, they, they don't. Um, and so uh, you and I have also talked a little bit about pricing optimization software. There's a couple of companies that will look at your prior history and uh, do some pretty sophisticated supply and demand math and, and help you optimize your price, help you figure out what price you can get away with and even more um, in, in depth, which markets um, have the, the greatest pricing power, although I call it pricing permission. Um, your customers don't, you don't have pricing power in the long term. You only get pricing permission. But, um, and so those, that software is pretty powerful stuff and has um, really powerful mathematics, but, you know, here's, here's my challenge with it. And, and you, you've seen a lot more of these than I have. And I think that that software does its math based on your history, which also means it's doing the math based on the crappy sales value selling sales capability of your, of your people. Right. I just went through that every industry salespeople universally fail at understanding value. So they can't sell that. If you don't know the value, you can't sell it. And so this math is powerful distillation of your team's incompetence. Your thoughts. Uh, so how can I agree uh, way too much? <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out what you said is absolutely right. The problem that these companies who use the pricing software like this typically have thousands and thousands of SKUs, uh, way more than what any one salesperson would understand and know. 
Um, they're addressing many different market segments, many different problems. And so what they're doing is they're using historical data to try to find which are the market segments that actually have the highest willingness to pay. And can I predict how much someone's willing to pay? But you're absolutely right that their independent variable happens to be the price someone paid last. And that was dependent upon how the salesperson sold and did they sell value or didn't they sell value? So yeah, if, if we added the let's go sell value, then I think all of those numbers move up. Yeah. But now let me ask you, isn't that it? Is there any difference between that and looking at the revenue growth numbers? Right. Next year, I'm going to go rev grow revenue by 3% because we're going to win seven more customers. And but wait, wait, wait. If we just learn to sell value, that number goes up dramatically. Every dollar in additional or decreased price is a profit dollar. Yep. Your cost didn't change one bit regardless of the price you sold it at. So if you sell it for a dollar more, that dollar more drops straight to the bottom line. Um, it, it's old numbers, but um, I think McKinsey and company did a study with the Fortune 500 and, and they found out uh, uh, what that means is the Fortune 500 had a pre-tax profit of 9% because McKinsey found that a 1% change in price translated to an 11% change in pre-tax profit. And so just the way the math works is the average pre-tax profit in the Fortune 500 is 9%. So it's a it's an integer relationship or a, um, a one inverted. over. Yeah, it's an inverted. It's an inverse mm -hmm. relationship. Uh, I talked to one telecom company that was two and a half percent pre-tax, which means a one percent change, a one percent change in price would be a 40 percent change in profitability. Um, yep. So is, is that the answer you're looking for? Is that the price actually is a big more much more powerful lever on profit than yes than and, and i love the fact that we talk about price all the time because i'm a pricing guy but it's really about communicating value yeah right? how much is a customer willing to pay yeah and if we can't communicate if we can't get customers to perceive that we have lots of value they're not going to pay us more money yep now you in your book you talk about this um, again, in a different way than I do, I live in, and my clients all live in, within the B2B space, I draw a wide spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum is very transactional sales. That's nuts, bolts. That uh, is laptops, you know, this year's laptop for my entire sales force of 500. Um, you just get somebody in IT to find out what the specs and the prices are from all the approved vendors and you, you pick one, right? It, selling value on that end of the spectrum is almost not economically feasible when you're trying to sell fasteners. Uh, maybe relationships matter, but at the other end where my clients live, I call that the trusted expert sale. 21% of B2B customers still call salespeople when they're trying to understand their needs before they've even generate, they're even starting to generate alternatives. 21% of sales of, of B2B customers are buying something that is so new to them, so risky to them, so complex that they say, I need a salesperson to come here and help me. In spite of the fact that they are a salesperson, I need a consultant, a free consultant to come in. And that person has 
uh, an opportunity to sell value if they have the business acumen, if they have the customer acumen, if they truly understand their customer's world, uh, they can sell value really effectively. So I guess when we're talking about the pricing software, you know, out at the transactional end where I don't live anyway, and I don't really have any expertise, you know, um, pricing, you know, electrical components, here's this circuit breaker and here's this raceway and here's a light switch. I, I probably can't help you sell value there. Uh, but- uh, okay. So, so I think you're selling yourself short, Mark. I'm going to tell you this. Okay. Because one of my, one of my biggest clients happens to be a connector company right now. Right. And they're selling connectors through distribution and then direct to some large customers. And, and so how do you sell value every year? They renegotiated an OEM contract with their biggest customers. Yeah. And, and what's value then? And value stops being about the individual connector and it starts being about the business relationship. How is it that we work together? How is it that we design new projects together? And the fact that one company is so much different than the competitors gives them a huge competitive advantage. And we're essentially selling the value of the relationship to the customer. And that's yeah. exactly the way you would normally think. I'll bet. Yeah. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> if you can't add value in the product, you add it in the service, you add it in. There's a lot of ways that you can change your customer's cost, yep. um, which means changing their profitability. And then let's talk about a connector, right? I, I love these conversations, right? Yeah. You can take any part, I don't anything, I don't really care what it is. And you say, um, yeah, I can't really sell the value to this. Well, the reason is you don't understand the value because if I go to your webpage and I look up the webpage of this thing, whatever it is, you've listed a ton of specifications. Yeah. What you've not done is talk about the problems customers have and why they use this product to solve it and what results they might expect to get. Yeah. And that's selling the value of a product. Yeah. You don't even, not, when I say you, I'm not talking about you, Mark. I'm, I don't. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, I actually, uh, one of my early podcast guests is an old colleague from Gore um, who worked for a connector company. And he was saying, and this was a, a Western connector company that's the higher price competing against a Chinese competitor, both of whom met the spec with a, comp- with a customer. However, my friend's company exceeded the spec in one way that allowed you to plug and unplug this connector many, 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 many more times reliably, right? Where you wouldn't have opens um, or unreliable connection. And this connector was going into an airplane. And so rather than selling to the design engineer, they went and sold to the reliability and the, and the repair depot. So they both met spec, but one of them exceeded the spec in a way that was important to a brand new constituency within that customer company. And it became um, the, the Chinese, the cheap competitor became anathema to that customer because they understood the customer's business and how that connector uh, was used in, in its life. Yep. Yeah, that's a great that's a great example of this. Uh, right. Connectors are cheap, troubles expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so once we step back and start looking for the value of our product to our customers, we can find it. Yeah, we can find it. I, I told you before before we started, and and I just repeat it for everybody else who's listening. 
if I have a superpower, and it took me a long time to learn this, but if I have a superpower, it's the fact that I can help companies figure out how their customers value their products. Yeah. And, and so companies often just say, oh, people value this, and they're listing a feature or they're listing a spec or a requirement they have to reach. And you're like, no, they really don't value that, right? They, they really value the outcome or the result they're going to get. Yeah. And you and that means you have to understand their business. Absolutely. Which means now you have to care. <laughs> you, you have to care about your customer's side of the table. I mean, rather than just you getting your commission. Now that you bring that up, doesn't it make sense that if I'm going to buy something, I'd really like to buy it from somebody who I know cares and who I know understands my business and my yeah. problems and my yeah. situation. Yeah, I just wrote an article about this, uh, the unbelievable mediocrity of no like and trust, right? The old saw, the old chestnut that people trot out. People buy from people they know, like, and trust. You don't have, I, you don't have to know me, but if I know you, if I understand you, your aspirations, your world, that means everything to me. All you need to know about me is my name and my email address. Yep. But if I know you, now that of course builds trust, right? Liking me, I mean, you as an example of the cold fish who wasn't very successful, there's a lot of cold fish salespeople who are successful, right? So liking, liking you is not critical. Hating you, not hating you, that's important, but right? Not like, people don't need to like you. People don't need to know you but they do need to trust you. There's no substitute for trust. And tr part of that trust is you knowing and understanding them, right? To what's the, uh, the Oscar speech? You, you know me, you really, really like me, right? <laughs> you, you get me. If, your if you can get your customer say, you get me. What an insightful question. What an insight you gave me. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. I'm completely with you. And, and that's luckily what I can do nowadays. Cool. But I'd, I'd never heard anyone call me a cold fish before. So thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's, that's what friends are for. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Great. Well, Mark, uh, how can people get a hold of you? And, and how can people get a hold of Selling Value? How to win more deals at higher prices? Uh, so you can get the book on Amazon. Please do. And please leave me a review, especially if you like the book. If you don't like it, don't worry about a review. And then uh, <laughs> you can reach me. I live on LinkedIn. So you can send me a LinkedIn connection or request or follow me there. And, uh, and if you want to email me, you can email me at mark at impactpricing.com. Outstanding. Well, Mark, I, you know, we could keep going, but uh, I want to keep this to one workout length on the treadmill or less. And we're right about there. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Mark. It's always fun talking to you. Yeah, you bet. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value only exists in your customer's mind. And creating value means living in your customer's mind, which means selling is a lot more like brain surgery than you might have thought. Thanks and have a high value day. These pots in a week. Maybe these current suppliers screw things up, put them up a creek. I don't know why he wants 4,000. 
of our gold-plated thingamabobs with the custom unobtainium mojo option. What do you mean? The custom unobtainium mojo option cost us more than 20 bucks by itself. Are you sure he knows that? Then why'd you tell me 20 bucks? Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.